2: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Going Off Track. You're in the studio right now with Jonah, Brad, and Esteban. Uh, I just went to Puerto Rico, so that's what my name is now. You did? Nope. <laughs> You're, you go on a lot of trips, I feel like. Nope. <laughs> Trips I have are putting kids in the car, going to Bed Bath & Beyond, buying something, coming home, finding out it's the wrong size cutting board, but going back to Bed Bath & Beyond, returning it and not getting the 20% off coupon. Yep, woo That's it. Part. When I feel heavy metal! <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm a writer of the Gates of Dawn. I take no prisoners. <laughs> that reference. Who do we have in the podcast today? Uh, we have a comedian, a producer, a former writer for the WWE. My good friend Andrew Goldstein, who every one of his friends that are my friends has always said Andrew Goldstein, and he, he's one of those very kind people who just never corrected anyone. Yeah, which I never know how to feel. But well, it, but is the spelling different? I don't know. No, Goldstein, Gold, Goldstein, Goldstein.
0: I feel like... Let's ask a Jew.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Jonah.
0: <laughs> I I feel like when I, if I saw his name spelled out, I would assume it was Goldstein. Okay. Because just growing up with a lot of Steins Yep, um, in a super Jewish area. But I feel like it's something you could correct someone with and let, not make them feel bad. But when no. you say Steins, do you mean Steins or do you mean blank Steins? Both. Okay. A lot. The Goldstein is actually a pretty big one. But then just Stein, as a kid, Scott Stein. Then why I'm do school.
2: we go want to say Goldstein so much? You know why? It's um, the it's it's, it's word of Germanic origin. And so it is Stein because you the E just kind of indicates that the I is a long I. So as in Frankenstein or Bierstein, that kind of thing. Oh. And uh, we go to uh, Goldstein because we're pretty much all anti-Semitic. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. That's how I say
0: My neurons are Uh, reconnecting after years of damage.
2: uh, I met Andrew through a very good friend of mine um, who's also a writer and uh, just loved the dude. And then we just started seeing each other out and about. And he he loves the wrestling. And he showed up here wearing a Randy Macho Man Savage t-shirt. Yeah. But it didn't look out of place. I couldn't (laughs) have pulled that off. Worked out great. I got to say, as a full-on hater of the wrestling world, I... I think this is a great podcast yeah see he's an awesome guest he knows his stuff and he, he kind of he breaks it down so without further ado andrew goldstein and I mean, podcast one and
1: earwolf they're like they're, they're killing it yeah i i, I thought in the wrestling was... world
0: I'm at some, i met some i was at this award show in cleveland that alternate press put on I was working over the weekend, and so many people came up to me, and they were like, I know who you are, I'm into your podcast. Like, so many people I don't know like, wanted like picture, like, it was really weird. I
1: just, guessed, I, I just guessed on wrestling podcasts, and if I go to Raw or a pay-per-view, uh, people will be like, hey, aren't, you're, you're Goldstein, right? I, you were great on, che-. you know, it's, just, yeah. it's crazy, and it's like, you don't see my face.
2: I don't know, you know, it's just r- wild. They know the it's tone. Wild. It's wild. Of today's guest, Andrew Goldstein, who who I met as friend, and then learned oh comedian oh eight knows everything about wrestling and is is a killer TV producer and writer. Uh, I completely forgot until Mr. Andrew walked into the studio here and saw the Woody Award that Rubber Tracks won. He was he wrote the Woody Awards. I wrote five. Hello, everybody. By the way, thank you for
1: having me, Joan and Stephen. <laughs> thank Brad. you, Uh I wrote five of the Woody Awards for MTVU. I called myself the Bruce Valanche of the Woody Awards. Mm-hmm. You, um, which is important. I'd have to have my resume in front of me to tell you the years, <laughs> but the, basically the second one, like the real, the first real deal one, and then the,
2: like five consecutive. We we I think when when I you and I first really hung out was at our friend's wedding. And I had this experience of watching what, what I'm going to refer to as, as a Philly connection. Because <laughs> my, my wife is from outside of Philadelphia. Andrew's from outside of Philadelphia. And another uh, friend that we were introduced to at the wedding, my wife and I were, was also outside of Philadelphia. So I had to watch for two whole days, three people try to out Philly each other. You, we, went yeah.
1: da- we went down the mall. We went down the mall, we went to Franklin Mills, and uh, we talked about Eric Lindros. Did you have some Frank Soda? We had some Frank's Black Cherry Whistliac, and, uh, you know, how you's doing? So it was just a lot of Philly accent. It's funny when I moved... Drinking to- a lot of water. A lot of water. <laughs> it's funny, when I moved to New York, uh, my first job, I moved here for the NBC Page program, and, you know, you're given studio tours all day, every, like, the first three months of the Page program all you're doing is you're putting on that outfit and you're giving studio tours six, seven times a day to random tourists. And more times, people would be like, are you from the South? And I'd be like, no, I'm from Philadelphia. They're like, your accent, you sound like you're from the South because the Philly accent is go down, Mm -hmm. go down the mall, like, how's, you know, um, how you's making out. Mm -hmm. Hey, hon. But I I guess, like, if you're casually doing it, not trying to do it, it kind of sounds... A
0: little Southern, which is so weird because Philly is so not the South. Have no. you heard John Worcester? If you know John Worcester from am super chunk, He has this. He has this character. I know super chunk. I don't know. him. He, has this, he does a lot of comedy. He's this character Philly boy Roy. That's like uh, the yeah. most exaggerated version of a. <laughs> you should. It's incredible. The
1: only person I've ever seen co op Philly and try to do it as a comedy sketch was Nick Kroll. Did a Philly yeah. character on the on a Kroll show Pennsylvania. He didn't, he didn't. I love Nick, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't get it perfectly like i was sitting there as
2: a like a uh, little i could work with it but um i made trish watch it and she went he doesn't he's not yeah, doing it right not, it, and then there was some guy who i guess was one of the writers who was like the assistant at the pawn shop she yeah. went that guy's from philly she Here's, could tell
1: anybody if you're listening and you're like well i don't understand what's the philly accent just watch any jackass or bam margera yeah all of those dudes because they're from westchester right outside of philly and they all have it Mm -hmm. they all have it all those kids. like i used to watch it and cringe because i used to i tried really hard after the page program to get rid of it i still dip into it a lot of times
2: but then i hear it and it's just a half hour of the philly action trish said she said uh water until she was 19 and her friends at penn state were like what are you saying she's like wait have some water what my roommate in college did that. He was from Lancaster. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, Lancaster's more uh, west, middle of Pennsylvania. Okay. Lancaster Amish. But they, obviously, because Westchester's out there too, so they it's mm-hmm. really heavy. Yeah, that's where the Turkey Hill factory is. It is. Turkey it, Hill ice cream. Important. Best cookies and cream ice cream, by it, the way. It's shout out. That's pretty damn good ice <laughs> cream. Send it to the, um, the studio. Send it. <laughs>
0: send
2: it. <laughs> yes. Please. <Wait, laughs> Turkey Hill is listening. Though, <laughs> right. what... And I believe they are. So, Andrew, you, one, like, when when I met you, and I'm like, this dude's really funny, and of course, like, oh, he's a comedian, but it doesn't come off, like, how comedians are on, you know what I mean? Yeah, we you talk, you just, like, you naturally kill me and make me laugh, but then we got into this discussion of wrestling. And, wrestling. And I, like, I loved wrestling growing up, watched a lot of it, all that, and then I learned that like with Bob Dylan when i have like 40 bob dylan records i'm just a casual fan yeah. you know and no matter how much wrestling i grew up I've got some game stuff there's just things i don't know and hearing you talk about it i love to death because i don't know it's always fun to talk to people like i don't watch sports but i like wrestling yeah and they're like wasn't well, it fake and i'm like look no but there's an art to it and all that and i think you really know the art and you work there right yeah
1: 2006, 2007, worked in WWE. But just to take a step back, the first time you and I ever met was going to a wrestling show. That's
2: right, Royal Rumble.
1: Because you and I, you threw a mutual friend, we ended up eating to our brother Jimmy's and going to a wrestling show, and uh, we, you know, I'd always heard of you, and we have tons of mutual friends, but uh, that's when I was just like, oh my god, you work for WWE, tell me stories. The best thing about working there is that I came out of the experience with the greatest stories to tell at the bar ever. (laughs) Like, I have like six to seven really amazing stories. But... I'm a huge wrestling fan. I I just did the, like, research and dated it back. I found the first match I had ever saw that I remember seeing. I did a podcast uh, with the fabulous Matt McCarthy from the Pete Holmes Show. He has a wrestling podcast. And they were asking me, like, my first experiences. And there was this match that I, like, hazily, vaguely remember. was seeing Hulk Hogan on a Saturday morning, which never happened. If you remember watching, I don't know, Jonah, how much, if Mm, any. Almost none. None. So... (laughs) On Saturday mornings in the '80s, it was like 10 to 11, or 10 to 11, 11 to 12, were two hour long WWF programs called Superstars and Challenge, and Hulk Hogan was the guy. He was the he was the Bay Booth, and he never was on the TV. They would show like videos of him. But you never got to see him wrestle unless you went live or you got your parents to pay for the pay per view. But this one Saturday, and I, I, it's just the first match I ever remember seeing. And it's Hulk Hogan versus Jabroni named Rusty Brooks, which was a fat, out of shape guy in a like gross singlet. Like not the singlet they wear today with the, the thighs covered. Mm-hmm. Like it's the underwear singlet. <laughs> and it had stars and it had like red, white, and blue. And he's just a gross guy. And Hulk Hogan beat him in like eight. You know, two minutes. But I just be, remember being blown away. So somebody, of course, you say it on a podcast. A million people send you the clip that they they find it. So anyway, I'm rambling. But 1986, no. I started watching wrestling, and it hooked me immediately. And I've just I've never been able to quit it.
2: <laughs> I love it. I think it's amazing. For for those of you playing the home game, uh, can you explain? Like like I'm going to ask you for cliff notes here. Sure, let's uh, do it. Jabroni is
1: jabroni is basically the term it comes from jobber, jobber meaning uh, a guy paid to do the job. Do the job in wrestling means lose, put a guy over. Right. So if you're the top, if you're a top guy, I'm a local, I'm brought in. You beat me in three minutes on TV, makes you look good, and I'm just a body that you that you use to to make yourself look good. And put, so those, so it's jobber, and then wrestlers started calling people jabronis, which is. The root word is uh, is jobber. <laughs> the Latin root yeah. uh,
2: for wrestling and
1: put and put someone over. Put someone over is uh, so the the office the bookers will say Steven's pretty hot right now. The audience is really digging him. Let's put him over Jonah. So that means you would win. You would beat Jonah. Never happen. But... It would never happen.
0: It'd be a Jonah brony. <laughs> He'd be a Jonah <laughs> Yeah.
1: You could sell. First of all, you call your fans that. Two T-shirts, and you'd be the biggest fucking star of
2: the world. Let's do this. I got it. It'd be awesome, the Jonah Bronies, <laughs>
0: your fan base,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, let's let's see how much more I can remember. Um, uh, heel and a face.
1: Heel and a face. Heel is a bad guy. Face is short for baby face. Baby face. It's all comes from carnival speak. So when I worked at WWE, you have to learn a whole different language because you're dealing with all these ex-retired wrestlers that work in the office and work on the writing teams and stuff, and they all speak in carny. Uh, for the like, a lot of the word, a lot of the regular words that you would use in English are substituted with these carny wrestling words. So they'd be like, "Hand me the gimmick," which is any basically a gimmick would be anything, any noun. So it's like, "Hand me the remote control," but it's "Hand me the gimmick." Uh, what U.S. heel and face? So babyface is the good guy. So in carnival speak, babyface would be like the hot, the really good looking guy that would bring people into the mm-hmm. tent, and the heel would be you know the bad guy the the monster mm-hmm. and then and then they have the heel turn the heel turn is when a babyface decides to go rogue and go bad and be bad and turn on uh, the fans and turn on his uh partner i remember that when hulk hogan went to wcw and did that well, that's, big heel. that's the biggest heel turn in the history of the business yeah Hardcore,
2: it came out. And- the
1: NWO. I'm sure you see, even if you <clears throat> don't know wrestling, you, I'm sure you know yeah, hip hop, like rappers use it all the time. When Le- Just now when LeBron chose to go back home, a million people made the video of, uh, they put like LeBron's face <laughs> on like a wrestling heel turn mm-hmm. and where he hits his partners with, the, with a chair and it looks like LeBron's hitting Bosh and Wade with a chair and like turning and it opens
2: his shirt and it's the NWO. You were just in Cleveland, Jonah. was how, oh, how, yes. What was the attitude? I
0: don't know. I felt like I I was just at this event and a lot of people weren't from Cleveland, so no (laughs) one really cared. And I care so little about sports. But it was weird. I felt like everyone I met would be like, LeBron, LeBron. It's like, yeah, people are excited. Also, I learned the Republican Convention is coming to Cleveland. Yes. So, like, people, I think it's like, whatever you think of politics, whatever, it's, like, good for the city, I think, just to bring people in.
1: Little known fact... I I earlier said my first job was being a page, but my actual first job right out of college, I was a PA at the Republican National Convention in Philadelphia the summer before I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And I drove a... they With cement blocks, you know, in Philly, there's the stadium complex. There's Mm -hmm. the the two big ones. And there was cement blocks that that, um, barricaded the whole thing in for security. And then that was like a whole compound with every cable news channel. And I drove a golf cart And I would just drive talent from one station to the, you know, from Mm -hmm. one area to the next. And I was, and I would drive Brit Hume from Fox News. Brit Hume, if you watch (laughs) SNL, old old Dana Carvey, Brit Hume. I would drive him back and forth from his, uh, to and from his hotel. Wow. Me and Brit Hume, homies.
2: Dude.
1: That's my man.
2: So the, so the love of wrestling, is that what got you into comedy and wanting to, perform and then like like where did you decide i don't know if
1: those are related it's just more of like i was just always that kid that was like imitating i guess on the imitation and on the on that scale yeah wrestling was like a huge part of me performing in my early years like in first grade second grade just like doing hulk hogan impressions and like doing wrestling moves to my friends in the back of the classroom like i have specific memories of that and I, I, I used to, I had a friend, Doug Lee, and uh, I'm going to text him and tell him to listen when this comes <laughs> out. I, I used to, if there was a substitute teacher, we, I would go in the back of the classroom, put him in the figure four leg lock and put him in the camel clutch and put him in the Boston Crab. And we joke <laughs> about it to this day. It was like the greatest, to this day, I love putting those like submission holds on people, but nobody, let, nobody really lets me do it anymore. They- I try to do it to my girlfriend. She's not into it. No, she's just <laughs> a long um, move. But uh, you gotta
0: just keep trying, I think.
1: But <laughs> I was gonna say the the two things are probably like imitating wrestlers and imitating SNL. Like I would do impressions of SNL people's impressions, and I would get mileage out
2: of that with my friends. Now, before you like like in college or before the NBC Page program, were you did you like try your hand at stand up? Then I uh, senior year of high school, we had like a the first time I ever
1: got on stage to tell jokes. I, uh, senior year of high school, they had, like, a performance final for a class, for, like, a, hu- like, a humanities class or whatever, mm-hmm. and I did stand-up, and I wrote, like, a routine, and, uh, I did it. How many minutes? I guess uh, six, seven, I don't know, five, six. Good set. I'm trying, I don't, um, uh, yeah, it was like basically stuff about school and you know, whatever. So that was the first time and then when I went to college, Philly's a weird city. Like comedy has never has really hit in Philly. Like there's one club. It's mostly urban comedy. Besides, like, Don Irera, it's, like, the rest is, it's very, like, comedy, it just wasn't, like, there's not a big improv scene, there's not a big sketch scene, there's not a big stand-up scene in Philly. There's comedians that come out of Philly, but there's no, so, like, college Dom for Arrera's
2: me. really funny. Dom is a legend. I saw him at the Laugh Factory once, and he was ridiculous.
1: Have you found, like, have you guys found that, like, Philly's a weird. I heard, all I ever think about with comedy in Philly is that Bill Burr video. Where he destroys... <laughs> <laughs> just google it folks it, it's he, incredible yeah and he hits everything that you're supposed to hit about uh, yeah. Philadelphia people yeah I always have to apologize like, <laughs> when I uh because living in New York being a Philly sports fan I'll, like it'll come up and I'll just be like oh I'm an Eagles fan they're like oh god and I'll be like I'm but I'm not a dick you know <laughs> like I will I will cheer if Peyton Manning throws a really great touchdown. T- you know like I'm not I'm not a dick,
2: but I've I know what that is. I've seen it. It's an unheard level of fandom until you've seen it, or say married into a family of people from Philly. Like it's even 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 the the fans are just like yeah, I go every once in a while, are bonkers. Like my my great aunt is I think I think it's almost 50 years a 50 year Eagles or Eagles, Higgles. Uh season ticket holder yeah, who still goes around. Who still goes and and that's tailgates. the band
1: Eagles, by the way. <laughs> what? She loves Don. She Henley. loves
2: Don. <laughs> she loves Don
1: Henley. I'm kidding. Uh, but in mu- <laughs> but with music, I feel like the music scene though in Philly is crazy. Like when I was at, I went to Temple University, like in North Philly, and the like everyone I worked with at the newspaper was in a band or was covering bands or going to going to mm-hmm. shows constantly. Like the scene to me, and I wasn't a part of that, but like. I just know, like, that scene is so huge, and then, like, comedy, just there's just a void.
0: Well, they have a great... Prom- R5 is, like, the promotion this guy does, Sean, and it, they they set up amazing shows, and they they own their own venues in Philly now, yeah. so it's, like, a great place for bands.
1: There's just... And then South Street, I mean, it's, like, yeah. every bar has live music, yeah. and there's the electric factory and all that kind of stuff, so... Um, and the sandwiches are good. Exactly. Good so then I moved. And then I basically I moved to New York or I had an internship uh, at Comedy Central and I lived in New York at NYU, which was like amazing, like lived in Washington Square. And I used to go to these like terrible open mics and try stuff. But I was still like not, I didn't really know what I was doing. And then when I moved here in 2001, 2000, then I really just started doing the whole bringer thing and, you know, got to a point where I was just like doing it.
0: That, that's so hard for me. Like, I feel like when people stop you on the street and they like, "Do you like comedy?" I'm always like, I, "Your job is so hard. I like want to help you, but I don't want to barking." Go see you. Yeah, I hate. It. I mean, like, did even, you have to do that? Even
1: on the TV level, like, go back in the day, being a PA, trying to get people to sign releases. Like, I just don't want to bother people. I have mm-hmm. this like overactive conscience, which is weird because I'm like this extrovert, <laughs> but then I have this like overactive, like I just don't want to bother anybody, I'm, like we'll get to it later but i worked on a prank show and that was just like mentally hell for me because you're <laughs> basically ruining people's day for 2 years of your life but anyway to- i uh yes i had to bark and i would take all the flyers that the club person would give you and i would stand on like a corner where nobody could see me and i'd throw half away <laughs> and then i would like maybe do it for like 10 full minutes and then i would like hide
0: so what did you have to do exactly you would you'd have
1: they would give you a stack of flyers or cards Okay. And you had, like, you had to give them all out gotcha. to get your stage time. Ugh. There was nothing preventing you from throwing them out and saying you gave them away. But like they would see that people wouldn't come to the show or whatever. But it, it was just awful. And I, tar- I try not to do that as much. But like I've done it. It's mm-hmm. the worst. I, will- I feel terrible when they come up to me.
0: Yeah. I'll always take it. Like If someone's handing something out, I'll always take it because I f- just feel bad.
1: I will I was- say what bothers me the most because I do work in Times Square is like some comedians from comedy central tonight letterman comedy and it's like no they're not nobody who's even sniffed the letterman stage is (laughs) coming on your show like don't i hate that (laughs) just don't lie be honest it's not even about
2: the lie it's just like it's just gross to me yeah now you now because you're a writer as well and a lot of comedians you know are hired to write jokes and do things but you've you do a lot of television work. Like, like, you're a producer as well as a writer and, yeah, and I, working with people. I got, re, I got into
1: um, hosted TV writing, which is a very fine art. I won't yeah. call it an art. It's a very fine skill uh, that not a lot of people focus on. And uh, I kind of just fell into it. And um, whatever, I'll put myself over. Mm. I, I got really good at it to a point where, like, you give me any format. For any live show or any you know, you know, as live show, I can
2: pretty much write host copy. It's hard to be able to, and when you and the people that we know that can do it because we know the same folks to be able to write host copy for any host and get their voice is a very hard thing to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the game, man. Is, is we have another one right here in the room, Mr. Jonah Bear. Yeah, is figuring out that
1: I mean, I've at this point I've worked with we could go back and forth like every sort of MTV generation host in New York City. And, I mean, they're all different. You have to, you know, you have your females and your males and your, like, rock guys and your comedy guys and your... It's just different. Like, Damien Fey was just like, just give me bullet points. But, like, another guy, like, I had a guy at Spike who had to write every, you know, every single word. So it's just, it's different. And, like, some people won't say, check it out. And just like little nuances, and you pick that up. And like I work with Nick Lachey now on VH on Big Morning Buzz on VH1, and like um, I I found he was the first guy that has zero um, neuroses to him, and I'm like all like I come at every story with like ah this is my neurotic take on it. But I had to like scale that back because every opinion, every like angle I was giving him, this is more on the producing side because it's more like going through the news, picking stories and being like, all right, Nick, here's six angles you could take on this story. But like I come at it with like a, well, me personally, I'd be like, ugh, I, you know, neurotic Jew thing. And he has zero of that in him. So I had to like <laughs> scale, all, like it was a big learning curve for me because I had to like scale all that back and be like, all right, what's the like regular guy take on. Whatever stories
0: in the
2: regular, and really any,
0: fit handsome guy takes. any tips for scaling that back?
1: <laughs> it's, uh,
0: How it's
1: not easy, dude. You know, I know.
0: dude. Trust me,
1: because like he he would like go on a whole rant. That's amazing. He would go on like a whole rant about like seeing the um the grade flyers in restaurant windows and like go to a place. It has a b- he's out on. In, you know, hanging out with a couple, and they pick a restaurant, so he can't say I don't want to go in there because they have a bee, so he has to go in there and he has to eat. So I hear that, and I'm like, oh, I would like go. I would like, oh, I don't know, I would uh, maybe uh, just order a salad or something. And, and like, he's just like, doesn't it doesn't register like the the painfulness of being a neurotic Jew in in that kind of situation? <laughs> I could tag it Jew, but like, and everybody's it was just a weird thing for me, and now we're like, great, and I could totally, you know, we're on the same page, but that was like a huge learning curve for me, but host writing is, it's a different animal, it's a different beast, and and I always found like there was, like, everybody thought they could do it, like, for a while MTV would just be like, oh, this guy has a great one-man show at UCB, so we hired him as a writer, and then, you know, they would just be like, pounding jokes in places that didn't need jokes and stuff, and, you know, trying to put a joke in a tossed to commercial, and it's just like, and then, like, the producer would go through and strike everything out, and it would just be the copy. Do you think it's just, you know, because I've, I've Not to the, hate on UCB people, I'm just saying. No, no, That would
2: happen... They know how to write for themselves and write a joke, and that's different than being able to write host copy, which is a lot of what goes on. Like, everything is, right down to Letterman, everything's scripted, you know, and there are people yeah. who are as awesome as Damien, because he's so damn good, I have so much respect for him, that can just bullet point it and go through. And and, uh, everyone I know who worked with Carson Daly was like he could look at something and memorize it in a second. He was really, really good at it. But to be able to be on the other side of writing for someone who you've just met and have it sound natural... Is an incredible skill, and does that come with just doing it over and over again, yeah, or was that it's a, a muscle?
1: I, there's definitely been situations where, like, I get in a room and it's like Charlemagne or something, and I I'll put in, you know, a, you, you write different, you just write some linga, you know, certain, uh you know, I don't know how to say it politically correctly, but you just write certain things, and then most hosts, in a nice way, will be like, "Oh, I would never say that. Mm. I would say it like this," and you just have to like. Train yourself to listen for those things. You can't be precious. Yeah, well, that's the biggest rule I've ever learned: is you don't own any of it. Mm -hmm. Don't own any of it. You could. I put the best joke you think in the world in a script, and the host will be like, "I'm not going to," you know. Like I just with um, I'm, Marlon Wayans. I did the July Fourth concert in Philly, and I wrote a whole opening monologue for him about how uh city of brotherly love if there if there's anybody that knows about brotherly love it's a wayans brother and a whole bit about like that he's like "Eh, i don't want to do that you just can't own it you you got to kill your babies that's like the that's the 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 old way to say it but um i just say i always tell a host i'm like i don't own any of this so tell me what works and what doesn't work and and that kind of thing but
0: you know it was cool uh so I worked on this—not to bring this back to me, but just as example, sort of what you're saying. Like I worked on this live thing; it was the first live TV I've ever worked on, and I'm used to writing for print, and I'm not used to seeing people actually read what I wrote. Like you put it out there, and then you like people comment or whatever. But like it was incredible, much more stressful. But it was so cool hearing someone say words that you wrote, even if it's not. Like having a host say what you wrote and hear people like cheer and get excited. Yeah. Like having that instant gratification of like wow, these people are reacting to something that came out of my brain.
1: I find people who come from print uh have a bit of an easier transition. Yeah. Because you you guys work in parameters already. Like somebody will say five hundred words to you or right. eight thousand eight hundred words. Like to me, people will say thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, brain-wise, you're able to be like, all right, well, I know what five, here it is. I know what, I'm sure you know, you know what 500 words looks like. Right. You don't even need to do the word count on, on your computer. You know what 1,700 words looks like. I know what 30 seconds looks like. I know what a minute, what 90 seconds looks like. You know, if somebody says, okay, you have a three-minute open, you got to write. I, know, I pretty much know that that's, you know, a page and a half of host copy. And I think that's why print people have... Because I've worked with a ton of people who come from magazines and, you know, um, a girl who was a writer on The Buzz, Christina, she um, she came from newspapers, and
2: she was seamless. I think that, yeah. That's fascinating. I never thought about that
1: one. But, like, script writers, like, like long-form script writers, I think they have a tough time because, you know, they're used to writing dialogue. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know... So sketch people probably it's it's harder. I think it's I think it's hard and Mm -hmm. joke writers. I think you know I'm always just like all right, hire that guy.
2: Yeah. See if they can do it. That's funny. Sometimes
1: I get cynical and I become a (laughs) hater, but uh, that's just because you know
2: we had uh, Mike Lawrence on. Love Mike and he. I love that dude's brain.
1: Yeah, he's so smart and so quick. I'll tell you a great wrestling related story with him, but well, that's what I want to get into
2: because you did the roast of the Iron Sheik. Yes. And that was all you. You put that whole thing together, wrote it. And I and hired...
1: Rosenberg from Hot 97 put it together. And uh, he's one of my best friends. And we co-produced it. I wrote all the jokes for the wrestlers who aren't comedians. Mm-hmm. And then we brought comedians in who did their own stuff. But for, And I wrote for Rosenberg. Uh, and um, I had a writing night at my apartment. It's the first time I've ever done something like that. Uh, mostly because I w- was the first time I was sort of really head writer. And I had Lawrence come over and a bunch of other guys. And Mike and I, we, we just know each other from, like, being nerds and seeing each other at wrestling shows and comedy shows, but I've never really, like, hung out with him. And he's a strange dude anyway, in the best sense of the word. Mm-hmm. And came to my apartment, and we were just, like, firing off jokes. And this, I mean, his brain works in such an evil, like, amazingly funny way. Like, I was just, like, in awe in my apartment, like, watching him just come up with the, like, greatest... Takes on like we would just name a wrestler, and he would just churn it out. And I was like, I came away from the experience being like, I'm so jealous of your brain. What was the wrestling story? Uh, well, he we, he got to meet Iron Sheik, and so he so Lawrence shows we're in the back of Caroline's, like in the office, and Sheik's just in his wheelchair, just hanging, meeting people, and uh, Lawrence comes in, and I know he's a huge fan. I go, Mike, this is do you want to meet the Sheik? He goes, Yeah. So uh, Mike, I, I introduce them. And I go, she call him a jabroni, cause I, that's like part of the Iron Sheik's shtick. And uh, but it's so cliche at this point, cause he calls everybody. He's like, oh, you jabroni, I break your back, make you humble, blah. And he call, he's like, Mike you, you, he called Mike some kind of like you, you're a good Jew, jabroni, whatever. <laughs> and Mike. He literally had the face of, like, a child. He was so flattered and excited. Like, it wasn't even just like, oh, I got the chic to call me jabroni. Cool, man. No, he was like a kid who had just sort of, like, Santa said, you've been the best boy. <laughs> like, he was, he was glowing. And I was just like, that's the real deal right there. Yeah, when you're that big a fan.
2: Yeah. That's so huge. It so, was wild. So when you, you know... uh working in TV and then, you know. I really want to hear about the prank show, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's what i yeah, I want to oh, get man. into that. Like, so you do that and then did the prank show come before writing for WWE? Yes. Okay. Boiling
1: part? Points was my, so I was a, a PA everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Mm. And that's another piece of advice I always tell people is just like, smile and say yes and Dude. drive the van, mm-hmm. drive the cube truck. I was just like, scared to death. So I PA'd like, on anything and everything. Isaac Mizrahi show, like uh, pr- cranky anchors, I drove puppets around in a truck. It was just crazy. Whatever, whoever would pay me, I would do it. And I, I ended up getting a PA job on Boiling Points. Moved up to AP uh, with Morgan Spurlock, associate producer. No, was he on Boiling Points?
2: No. Let's
0: well, show maybe. Was that the show where you tried to like see how long you yes. can get?
1: Yes. Oh
2: wait, no, this is the one Boiling that Lady Boiling Gaga Boiling, was
1: like, on. Like in two thousand three, two thousand four area, and like Billy Merritt. Uh, Colton Dunn, who's a writer on Key & Peele now, Allison Becker, who's on 30 yeah. Rock. Like, really good, amazing improvisers came through uh, Boiling Points. And so, um, uh, yeah, so then, as an AP, I just, you know, everybody's pitching because it's so hard to find a, a prank idea that actually works. So everyone's pitching, and I'm pitching and finally getting ideas through the filter, getting made into segments. Finally, I was like, hey, next time I get a segment, get, get an idea through the filter can i write it cuz we had two writers at the time and they were like sure we would love to help so i would like write the script and the scripts were more like choose your own adventure so it would be like um if jonas says go fuck yourself you you say um X Or you say what, well, you know, it was a lot of the, that kind of script and there was a whole format to it. And so I ended up writing about three to four bits for the second season as an AP. And then I got to produce some as well. And then for the third season, they hired me as a writer. And that was my first writing gig. Amazing. Boiling Points ends. And I say to myself, whether I work tomorrow or I work I don't work for another year. I'm not taking another job unless it's a writing job. And luckily, at the time, MTV was such a the, the place where, like, hey, uh, the next week they were like, hey, a Britney Spears clip special. Do you mind writing it? And that was the first hosted gig that I ever, you know, wrote for, I wrote, like, VO copy. Was it hard to watch, like, that stuff? Oh, awful. Awful. I had no stomach for it. I'm not even the guy, you do not want me in the room when you're doing a prank phone call, because I can't, I just be like, reveal! Reveal! Mm-hmm. Like, the second <laughs> there's any stress in the person's voice, I'm like, I get so uh, antsy. Like, I can't even...
0: What was, like, the craziest thing that happened? Or, oh, like, man. We got... did, did anyone try to, like, get in fights? Well, or, like... when
1: I was a PA, I, I used to have to do the, um, the... I used to have to run after people with the releases, and we pranked uh, two huge, pardon the term, Chelsea boys, and basically kind of accidentally outed them. Uh... For I mean, it was a, you know, it's 2003. It wasn't as, as you know as open as it is today. So we 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 ran into that a lot, where you'd prank a co- uh, two guys or something, and then you'd reveal, and then they'd be like, you go ask them to do the to sign the release. They'd be like, oh, this can't be on TV. People don't they? And but this one time, I was chasing after these guys. Said no to the release, and my producer was like, go get that release. So I'm like chasing after him, chasing after him. I'm a little dude. I'm 5'8 and yet I'm like 100 and nothing. And this is like a giant guy and he I he's like, "No, no, stay away from me." And I just keep going, keep going. And he just turned, stopped. He just stopped, turned and like cocked his fist and like a, like as if he was going to hit me and it was just like I'm going to die. I'm <laughs> literally going to die in this moment. I'm going to be pummeled on the street like 23rd and 8th. I'm going to you know, be pummeled. But uh it didn't happen but though that it got heated like drinks thrown in people's faces and uh you know the, I,
2: used to, I used to work with Allison and she told me she did one and maybe you wrote it where she was working at a at a clothing store and she would go in the changing room with like a girl's boyfriend yeah and just, like and Allison just wait.
1: Was, Becker was the uh she was the uh sexy girl who would you like all of the a lot of the pranks that she was that she would star in would be making girlfriend's jealous by doing something. Like we would do yoga and she would be the instructor and the guy would be you know stuff like that. But um we we got into a lot of trouble cuz we prank we, we always found if you pranked out of the demo, if you pranked older people, you would you'd be you'd be screwed because they would they would take it way too seriously. So we pranked um we did a thing in Central Park where uh, Missy O'Reilly, who had uh meat in her pocket, uh, that was just so the dogs would be attracted. But she would go up to uh, people with dogs and be and she would act as if she'd be like, Oh, spot, that's my dog, this is spot. Oh, and she would call it by a specific name, and the woman would be like, Oh, okay, actually, this is my dog. And she'd be like, no, this is my dog, and she would hold up a flyer like, Missing dog, that's my dog, and then. The woman would be like, no, it's my dog. Get away from me, crazy woman. And then they would have this argument about how it's her dog. And then Billy Merritt would come up as a park ranger. It's so, so ridiculous. But dog owners are, who are in it, fighting for their dog, aren't thinking logically. Right. And he would come up and be like, what seems to be the problem? And Missy would jump right in and be like, this woman stole my dog. And oh, this is my dog. Look at the flyer." <laughs> and then Billy would say, basically, the end would be, he would say, uh, well, until we can work this out, I need to take the dog. And the dog owners would go absolutely crazy. Like, <laughs> do not touch my. They would go crazy. And so, this one, and we it was an older woman who we probably should not have franked, she sued us. Um, and it was, you know, Howard Stern talked about it. He's oh, like, this show, they're like causing mental anguish and distress. And then, you know, then our show changed a little bit. We had to have security on set. And, yeah. you know, we had to do a lot more setting up the mark, like do- doing the backstory. The, the we, would pre, we would produce the segment a lot more where you'd set you'd have girlfriends setting up boyfriends and friends setting yeah, up friends yeah, yeah. as opposed to just random attacks.
2: <laughs> Were you part of the one that did Lady Gaga?
1: No, but that's amazing. We pranked Lady Gaga before she was Lady Gaga when she was just at NYU at an outdoor cafe. Really? Yeah. yeah. John Blitt.
2: You can see it on, on YouTube. She's She's she snotty as hell then.
1: Yeah. It was amazing. She's just What's her name? Stephanie. Stephanie Germanata. Steph- She's sitting there. Stephanie. And the- we went back. We looked in the releases, and sure enough, it was her. Yeah, it was like it was all of her information. It
2: was oh, crazy. Cool. She sent her.
1: A we uh, we added a, a dude cheating on his wife in Central Park. Allison Becker or uh, Rebecca Johnson, great improviser. She was um, this nerdy girl who would just sit down next to a couple in Central Park and just not leave and just bother them, bother them, become their best friend, and uh, it was this guy in business clothes and this girl and she did the whole bit hilarious, reveal $100 given, the whole thing and we go to sign the release, the guy's like ah, I can't, I can't sign it, we're like, oh come on, it was so funny Like, no, it, it won't be that big of a-. he's like, no you don't understand, he's like, I'm not supposed to be here he's like, I'm like, I'm sure your office will be like, we just yeah. thought, your office will be fine, your boss will uh, be fine, he's like, no, you don't, you don't understand, I, I'm married we're like,
2: oh, oh you're <laughs> dick eee <Eey." laughs> So there was a lot of like, you know. Fun. So that's one you could forge because he's not going to sue then. Exactly. <laughs> but
1: uh, pranking, I had so much. I mean, it was funny because on one end, I'm making it happen. Like even sitting in the producing chair was so hard because you're in the ear of the the people doing the pranking, and you have to keep it going. But everything in my body is telling me reveal, reveal, right? Right? right. These people are really upset. And getting the stores to let us do it, getting the restaurants and the stores to let it—like, hey, can we wreak havoc in your business for eight hours? Was I just—I walk into Bully's Deli on on Fourteenth and University or Fourth, wherever it is—and mm-hmm. and I still to this day, I think, how did that guy ever let us in his in his store?
2: Do you think there's some kind of connection between you know huh? you're being able to write that and write those kind of um, pranks and things? With like love of wrestling, because you know, if you're a wrestling fan, you're you're a mark. You know, like oh, right? like, it's so similar, yeah. Because
1: yeah. yeah. the mark is another wrestling term. It's an old carny term yeah. for the the person they're bringing in the tent who doesn't know that they're mm-hmm. being duped. So a mark has become a word for the f- wrestling fans, smart fans that think they know everything, think they know what's going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. You're ah, uh, you're just a mark. So, um, but we called the marks writing the show. We would say, you know, we got to book marks. We got to, bu- you know.
0: What's the connection between wrestling and carnival culture like did wrestling come it out It came out
1: of that the strongman really? strongman competitions
0: and um
1: you know basically like tough man competitions and grappling and a guy would come out of the audience and say I can beat that guy and then you know the strongman then he would beat and people would bet that whole thing. It all comes from the carnival culture, the traveling carnival circus and those, like, those strong men, those uh,
2: shooters, as they were called, which were, you know, like, the first big guy to take off was like, Gorgeous George? or Gorgeous
1: George in terms of the modern day, flamboyant, robes, music, mm-hmm. you know, arrogant, kind of, heel personality, but, you know, like, dude's like luthas and i mean that's getting really nerdy but there were like really huge stars in the in the a- advent of tv wrestling was like the first you know big highly rated programming
2: and it was always it was always that the guys wrestling knew how it was going to end and it was how they always portrayed it i love that always it's uh, yeah all the the
1: the finish was always predetermined mm-hmm. there's like re- few uh instances
0: in uh wrestling history where people have gone rogue how do you react when people like i feel like it's really annoying when people are like like everyone knows that it's planned but i feel like when you tell people they're stupid to wrestling or they're like don't you know it's fake or like yeah. does that because i feel it's like people a, act like it doesn't it doesn't make it legitimate or something
1: well it's such a cheap easy thing to say but it's not yeah it's predetermined but like i've seen firsthand that these dudes they're really hitting. I mean, they're, they they are. They know how to land, and they they're protecting each other when they do it. But they're really hitting each other. You, you think when a dude jumps off the top rope onto another guy that there isn't you know contact? Like it, the 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 easiest analogy that you can always say is just like, well, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't really the Terminator, but you like that movie. You know, it's it's all it's pretty much the same. I always say it's like synchronized swimming because it's all underwater. It yeah, it's all underwater. It's a it's it, there's choreography to it, mm-hmm. and especially now everything's very planned out.
2: But how many guys still? How many guys like still like like improv? Like, like that's the wrong word, but like how how many guys still call it in the ring?
1: Call it in the ring is yeah. That's like the old school guys would just like. Not talk before the match, and then just get out there. And the bet, ba- the bad guy, the heel, usually calls the match. It's like, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me. Th-, I, I, wa- I watch not many. It's kind really? of becoming a lost art. But the older guys, you know, they they will call the whole match. Cena now
2: is John Cena now is like the top guy. I'm sure he just calls everything in the ring. I saw Triple H once. Um, I was watching Raw, and he was wrestling. And I guess there was a mic was too close to the oh, ring. Yeah. And I just heard him say, you know, he was doing the uh, Irish whip, and he just went, high uh, knee. Yeah. And, I, and he heard it, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And well, I the, loved the, it. The best way to
1: have the whole um, universe shattered for you is if, if you go live, you really can figure it out. Like, I remember being like 10 or 11, and my dad took me to the spectrum, and I was just like, wait a second. But I was a kid, and I still loved it. and I didn't care because you're already hooked. It's already—it's kind of like it's like heroin. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of realize, all right, this is really bad for me, but I'm already hooked. So let's let's keep doing it. It's like wrestling. It's like, oh, wait a second, that punch didn't come anywhere close to his face. But I love this. This is mm-hmm. so cool. It makes me feel amazing. But um, if you watch wrestling with me, I I can I'm always just like, okay, see, they just put their heads together. He just told him his ne- mm-hmm. the next
2: like three. He'll like give me it, you know. But you as a diehard fan, what do you look for? Like, what do you like? What wows you? What do you want to see?
1: I always talk about it on wrestling podcasts. Wrestling is the only, wrestling has on a on a um, frequent level. Wrestling produces what uh, the mainstream sports. Ha- you have to wait for in mainstream. I didn't say that very well, but w- what I'm saying is like you watch a whole season of football, maybe you'll get like three to four or five holy shit moments. Wrestling is in the business of producing those on a nightly basis. So you get that moment where you're just like where your mouth drops open. Like that amazing play that, that just won, you know, that amazing home run in the bottom of the ninth happens, you know, once or twice a season. You get that. Pretty much any time you go to a wrestling show, at some point, somebody's going to do something
2: that makes you say, holy shit. You, you were on board, I think you told me this from from the very beginning, with CM Punk. Like yeah. You saw him way back well, I when. I was
1: there, because uh, CM Punk, uh, he... Because WWE had just bought ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling, and they made their own version. And CM Punk was like the the he was going to be the new guy that they put in. So I was there right when all that was starting when CM Punk debuted, basically. And I was I was there to watch them be like, "This guy is nothing." I just (laughs) met him. He was he. He's a huge punk music fan, yeah music he fan. he
0: did the pre-show with this girl juliet sims yeah she was in the. he was
1: just at that uh, uh, yeah. award yeah because there there's a big video of him on the red carpet talking about his wrestling future and, and he's he, like i'm never ever ever going back he inducted billy corgan
2: at the award show who huge wrestling fan yeah he, he has his own um yeah who knew federation i would have liked
1: smashing pumpkins a lot more when i was a kid if i knew
2: yeah yeah,
1: he's I'm, big into
2: it. And again.
0: what was who's the other Bob Mold or something? Where, oh, Bob Mold. He wrote
2: Bob for Bob Mold wrote
1: for yeah, wrote for the and, and um yeah. I found that crazy. Have you read his book, his no, biography? It's I really interesting. To. It's really is good. there are there chapters on that? Yes. Fuck I yeah, you that. should read it. It's really cool. <laughs> so good.
2: He's awesome.
1: I but, love that Foo Fighters track on the last album that. Bob sings on. Yeah,
2: it. yeah, it's great. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, he and it's interesting. They did a there's a documentary because the them.
1: doc that was on VH1. Yeah, and
2: they don't have the um, they didn't have the lyrics, so they go in and they just they, they sing just gibberish, it. and then he writes the lyric, yeah. which I never knew. That's pretty fascinating. So wait, so CM is CM Punk done? Punk left. Uh-huh. Punk got fed up and was you know like I'm a, he's. You think that's a
1: publicity thing? You think it's legit? No, it's it's legit. I mean, he's been away for. Almost, you know, a year What makes now. someone fed up? He, this, I mean, the schedule and the politics. It's a shark-infested water over there. I mean, I was way too young and naive and not ready for when I got the job. I always say I got the job way too early. Because now, if I got the job, I'd be able to produce the talent and not be sort of intimidated.
2: What, what was your job?
1: I was a creative writer, and then you're just thrown into producing backstage segments. But I came in, like, off of one writing job. You know, I got it basically right after boiling points and a couple like you know clip specials for MTV and maybe a season of Web Junk. No, not even. I got Web Junk after. No, I got it Web Junk. I, I got. I had Web Junk and then I went to WWE because Patrice O'Neill had written for WWE again. He had done like thirty, like fifteen weeks, uh, and he told me about it. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was a writer and you're on the you work literally 7 days a week you must have been
2: fucking stoked it must have been was like a amazing. dream i
1: mean you're in a different city every week you're flying on Vince McMahon's jet uh to each city you're driving overnight with your with your buds and i mean like my first week on the road i was in a limo with Dusty Rhodes and Paul Heyman it was like insane and like they have no choice but to answer your questions cuz you're in the car so i was just like Marking out, as they say, which is yeah. just like having that crazy fan moment. But CM Punk, he's an interesting dude because he has that punk personality of like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I, I'm going to, I if I believe in something, I'm not going to let you forget about my opinion. Uh, and that doesn't really go well, in the Vince
2: McMahon sort of world, so the, was, that, was that famous promo that he did real like that was that
1: the content of it was, but I, I think he kayfabe's a lot now. Kayfabe is another huge carny term. Kayfabe was the the internal um, code that the carny people w- would talk about that everything's fixed. Mm-hmm. So then, kayfabe became the wrestling thing. If you have to keep kayfabe, heels can't travel with babyfaces, and you can't. If you go into a restaurant and you're the guy you're wrestling that night is sitting at the di- at the counter, you got to leave.
2: You got to stay what in separate hotels. What, what's, what's the like? Where does the terminology come from?
1: I'd have I I used to know. Yeah, I have to look it up. That's a the weird one. origins of it. But yeah, kayfabe is like the whole. So he. I think so. When he gets interviewed, he'll still keep kayfabe and be like, "Oh yeah, I I, I, that was all off the cuff." But no, it was written by writers. Vince McMahon basically was like, "I'm going to give you 20 minutes at the end of the show, and you you can you pretty much rail into me and just say whatever you want."
2: Wow, I love that. That's
1: just me being cynical, but that pipe bomb promo is amazing. But he is like the like that whole punk personality in its natural real form is not welcomed in the world of wrestling where everything's controlled. Right. So he just was like oil to their, you know, water. And so, um, and he had a great run being that guy. And uh, once they realized like, okay, we need to take advantage that this guy is like a dick in terms of like he, he, that that's his personality. Like, let's take advantage of that. Not to mention he's incredible in the ring and incredible in the microphone, which mm-hmm. are the skills you need. So, I mean, he set the world on fire, but then he just got burnt out, and they where they wanted to take his character, he wasn't comfortable with, and his body was broken down, and I think he was just like, "Look, Shawn Michaels took three years off, yeah, yeah, in the middle of his thing, you know, Stone Cold took his ball and went home, and he wasn't happy with how they were going to book him, and, and in the uh, middle of Stone Cold being the biggest wrestler in the world ever of all time, he left. Is a lot. Is, so is, it happens
2: a lot. Is if, is a lot of that frustration, or is it physical? Or is it both?
1: I think it's both. It's the schedule. It's the off. It's the politics, and it's the it's the wear and tear on your body. I mean, I mean, he's. I, I think he's had like, he talks about it. his hips messed up, his yeah. back's messed up. All these guys. Daniel Bryan, who's another guy yeah. came from the Indies, like CM Punk, broke his has a neck that he may not ever 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 be able to wrestle again. You walk backstage, all the agents who are former wrestlers, they all have a zipper down the back of their neck.
0: It's uh, like this. It's interesting. It seems there is. It is so dark. Like I feel like that oh, level to it. Like that. What's that documentary, Jake the Snake? Yeah, oh, well, beyond the rest, mat. Beyond there's the beyond mat. the mat, and there's wrestling with shadows, and yeah. and even that the that Mickey Rourke movie, the wrestler, yeah, the wrestler. like mean, all that it's stuff. It's like movie. it seems like there's a real dark side to I it I
1: watched that movie and I was like, this is a shoot, which is
0: another wrestling term.
1: Shoot is this is for real. <laughs> Mm-hmm. As at work is, we're working the audience. This is work. That's shoot, man. That that's that's that scene in the wrestler where he's at the autograph signing, and they and it was amazing camera work. And they go on the bottom of the table, and you see the guy with the catheter, and you see the guy with the you know the 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 purple leg, and everything. that's true, man. These dudes are their their bodies are in terrible terrible shape.
2: And then when they do it, they get. I mean, there's no health insurance. You have no. to pay for everything themselves. You know, the
1: best was you know Dusty Rhodes. Legend of the '80s, like yeah. pro, 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 American Dream, American Dream. But he was, you know, in the NWA, whatever. He's great. He was like the best part of working there, like getting to actually know him and work with him. And I'm a huge fan. But he would, he would tell us stories about, you know, when he was at the top, top, top of being the top guy in the in the NWA. He, uh, he's like, you know, I'd be handed a Manila envelope with two hundred fifty thousand dollars just from the gate, and he's like, at that time, I didn't take. Ten percent or twenty percent of that, and put it under my mattress for taxes. I went out and I spent it, you know because there was no there is nobody saying like here
2: sign this w nine it was it's, right. it's the wild west dude now you said you know tell the podcast you got some good wrestling stories what's your favorite the it the best story I have is best told
1: with visuals uh but i can I can tell it on uh in the audio version, but you know Rick Flair is yes. Even without your yes, I know state, Rick Flair. Ric Flair legend. He's a little not with it today. His 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 eggs are a little scrambled now. But uh, he is he was the guy like hogan in the WWF there was Ric flair in the NWA mm-hmm. he had the robes he was you know talked to he was the um, basically if you watch East and down the will Ferrell character that that's based off of Ric flair the the flamboyance <laughs> and the the false bravado and the my watch cost more than your life like all kinds of things to be the man you got to beat the man the bleach blonde hair the whole thing and um so I by far he's my number one that my number he's my wrestling idol. He invented a move, right? The chop. Wasn't that him? that he? Well, he, he didn't that? invent it, but that's his. That's, that's his. now. If anybody does the chop in the wrestling ring, the all the whole arena goes woo! Oh wow! Because it's just become ubiquitous.
2: A sidebar: uh, my I have one wrestling story. and It's so easy. I had interviewed Chris Jericho once, and he was going to do a Phenomenal. move. He is great, and um, we're like, oh, let's just show a wrestling move, and he's like, all right, you're going to do i I'm going to do a chop, thinking I didn't know what it was, and I went, oh, are you? Crap. Yeah. Okay, and hauled off and just slapped the shit got chopped shit by J- out of me.
1: I got chopped by JBL Bradshaw, uh, uh, on my bare chest as sort of an initiation, like the first night I went drinking with the wrestlers, and it was like full on red handprint uh, on my chest for like a week. But anyway, Ric Flair, uh, so at the time, 2006, I'll, I'll tell this quick, 2006, I'm a writer, he's involved in a storyline with the wrestler Edge, who is now an actor, because mm-hmm broke his neck, uh, and had to retire. Adam Copeland and uh, Randy Orton, who is still active. And they were called Rated RKO. They they were put together as a tag team. And uh, they were doing a bit where, and Ric Flair was on the babyface side, and they were doing a thing where Edge was going to go out to the ring, cut a promo, which was like talk to the audience, talk to his, his opponents, like talk some shit, basically. And he would say, talk all this stuff about Ric Flair, and then he's like, you know what? My backstage correspondent caught up with Rick. Let's go. Let you know. Let's go to my backstage correspondent, Randy Orton. Like real tongue in cheek. Let's go. And he was supposed to. They were supposed to cut backstage to Randy Orton standing over a bloody and beaten Ric Flair. Now the viewer in this scenario never sees what happened to Ric Flair. They just see that Randy Orton is standing over a bloody and prone, you know, Flair. So if you think about that logically, Flair has to get himself bloody. Having not actually engaged in any sort of contact. And I'm the producer slash writer on this bit. Uh, so I go up to him and I was like, um, Mr. Flair, this is what we have to do. And I show him the script. He's like, okay. He's like five minutes before we go, it goes live. Just tell me. And I go, okay. Uh, so we're like five minutes before Edge, Edge is going to go out to the ring to do the thing. And Flair literally just goes, okay. And he just starts. He so he has a razor blade, like little razor blades, cut and stuffed into the tape on his fingers. Giggling. Yeah, and so he, I go, Mister Flair, five minutes, and he goes, okay, and he just takes his middle finger, which has tape on it and razor blades in it, and he just literally as as if just I'm sitting here talking to you, he just starts scratching his head. The blood starts coming because his his head his it's paper thin now his skin, because he's been broken open so many times, starts, starts just swiping at his head, blood starts pouring, and then he just starts Ultimate Warrior, like, Ugh! to squeeze it out of him, and his face is just getting covered with blood. And then, I was like, uh, and I'm watching this, like, <laughs> A, marking the fuck out, and B, like, having to be, like, okay, a uh, minute and a half, Edge, <laughs> Edge is in there, he's doing his thing, and then Flair goes to Randy Orton, he goes, okay, Randy, open me the hard way, and Flair does a full- um he he uh flat fa- uh flat back like right on the concrete floor for no reason just down on the ground and Randy gets on top of him no cameras are rolling this is not for television this is just to get him bloody R- Randy gets on top of him and starts punching him in the head to open up the wound And to have the blood on his tape. So it looks like Randy did it. And I was like, okay, ten, nine. And then Flair lays there in a bloody mess. Randy stands up. you know, Give him the microphone. Eight, seven, six, five. All right, you're on. And Randy just does his thing. Blah, blah, blah. Does the promo. Drags Ric Flair out through the curtain to the ring. Scuffle, scuffle, scuffle. They go to commercial. Ric Flair comes back through the curtain. Bloody mess. And he comes up to me and he says, how was that? How was that, kid? And I was just like perfect <laughs> but i just have to reiterate he completely bloodied himself not for a match just for a little bit like a 3 minute vignette where you don't even see him getting bloody he did it to himself
2: it was remarkable and it's better if you could see me imitate the whole thing cuz like, take but you through it like but. the whole the whole gigging thing like i mean if you've seen the wrestler you've seen that now but it, like, like, you don't need to do that. You can fake it. But what do they call that when you fake it? When you juicing, do, juicing. Okay, but like, is, is it? Getting are you the juice? Are you more respected if you raise well, yourself? Well, nowadays,
1: most. I mean, nowadays it's like a faux pas if if anybody gets open the hard way. Like the you know if there's no blood really in wrestling anymore. At least in WWE, like they're very like the the referees will put plastic gloves on. They'll stop the match. Like it's a whole. You know, but back in the day, yeah, it was like a show of you know, it was a, a scene, it was a thing. And didn't TNA did. just like ban headshots like with the chair? Yeah, they were like the last ones because they were still doing them. But after the Mick Foley uh, documentary, they they kind of started oh, relaxing. Oh, because rock on hit them. him
2: like six times. And then after
1: ben, Chris Benoit tragedy, it's like you know we got to
2: protect these guys' heads as best we can. Do you think you think Chris Benoit? You think it was his head It wasn't like?
1: Yeah, I think his I think his eggs were scrambled, man.
2: Yeah, you don't realize. You know, that's the thing that always bothered me is when I just happened to be watching and and uh, I got back into wrestling when I was a substitute teacher in California because the kids were just loving it. So I was like, I'll watch it again. You know,
1: What year is this? What? Uh, This was probably 98, 99. So like the height yeah. of the Attitude Era. As and I, call and it. I remember
2: watching the first like big, I think, uh, ladder match and it was Edge and Christian versus the Hardy Boys. And I couldn't yeah. believe that a match like that was just not on a pay-per-view. Because it was well, so that's, insane. Yeah. And that's
1: s- the thing is you do it on the pay-per-view and then it's like, oh my god, this is amazing. Let's book it on every, ev-, you know, and then you start. Wrestlers nowadays, they talk about um, your bump card. Like you take a bump is any time you hit the mat. To, and it's like you've, you don't fill up your bump card so quickly because you only have so many in you. Because they always say it's like getting hit by a car. Every time you take a bump, and those dudes are flying off ladders and landing you know twenty feet and so those those ladder matches are things of legend between the Hardys, the Dudleys, and the yeah. uh, and edgy christian, and those things took years off all their careers and you see edge he's retired yeah. christian body's broken, he barely wrestles anymore jeff Hardy's a machine i don't know how he does it, but he a lot of you know uh drugs artificial reasons why he's still able to do it Matt Hardy the dudleys are just you know machines too but like the yeah it's crazy it's it's really really crazy i mean it's like my, it's like stage diving but higher and landing on the ground not or landing on people and as
2: and as the writer for that because is it just you as the writer? or Well,
1: any physicality, that's why you have the former wrestlers on the writing team. So if you have like the bit with Randy and Edge and Ric Flair, so any of the, all the physicality, there was a there was an agent with me, a former wrestler who uh, Bruce Pritchard, who played brother Love. So oh, yeah. he kind of went through um, how that whole thing was going to work. But in terms of the content and the creative content of the bit, that all came down to me and produce and you know producing the town ta- and telling Edge what he needed to say in the ring to throw to Randy and Randy standing over Flair the whole thing.
2: How many old school guys are, are still like on the payroll and still do a Well, stuff?
1: now they have a thing called Legends Contract, so uh, like a lot of you know. A lot of dudes get a paycheck just to make like public appearances and stuff. But working day to day, there's a whole fleet of like when I was there it was like Ricky Steamboat <sighs> is backstage. It's like everything you would imagine. It's like Ricky Steamboat's backstage, Sergeant Slaughter is backstage, Dusty Rhodes, uh Paul Ham you know, like it was
2: it was awesome. Was Paul Heyman a wrestler?
1: No, but he's like, you know, wrestling evil genius. And he's got an eye though, right? Yeah. I mean he just cut what they're calling like the be- the best promo since Punk's promo on Monday night. They closed the show with just him talking, putting Brock over, really Brock Lesnar. Anyway, we're getting into some really nerdy shit. I love it. So this is, this I, uh, is where we had it. I apologize, but uh, yeah, I'm just a big no. old nerd and I love it. And I'm wearing a
2: Randy Macho Man Savage t-shirt for y'all do today. Did you ever meet him? I didn't, sadly. I, I he came by Fuse years ago to promote his rap album, Not yeah, a High I, Point.
0: I got an autograph poster for that when it came out, dude. Really? Yeah. yeah. Did I got, you
2: meet him? No, but he sent
0: it to me. I was working in a magazine. So cool.
2: I mean that was just like the what was he thinking? I don't know, but I interviewed him and I was the whole time I'm just like grinning from ear They had uh, for a while Fuse since they were partnered up with the Garden. There was a, a WWE rep, and and my wife was the yeah. Person he would who just, they would that's dealt what, with
1: Fuse him. was always like a huge support. I remember during the Sauce days, yeah. I didn't work on it, but you know all my friends were the writers yeah. and they, the the wrestlers were like a huge part of it.
2: was there, Batista yeah. came by, he came
1: by. It was like. There's the classic MTV story in the studio about uh, during the Carson days on TRL and they had Diamond Dallas Page and a bunch of the WCW guys on. And uh, they basically pranked Carson Daly and Diamond Dallas Page like flipped out in the middle of the live hit and picked up a chair and hit whoever he was with, like right in front of Carson. And Carson freaked out because he thought it was he thought it was legit. (laughs) That's That story's been told to me, I didn't witness it, but that story's been told to me by many of MTV, you know, lifer.
2: DDP, no, of DDP Yoga. He's a yoga... That's what I hear.
1: and He's like saving lives. Yeah. Hey, whatever
2: whatever form of yeah. yoga you do, it has got great. Scott That's Hall a, and Jake the Snake. And yeah, it's amazing. Living in his house, it's good stuff. It's good to stretch.
1: What, um, uh, uh, if you were a wrestler, Steven, Uh-oh. and you're a big music guy, what would you use for your ring entrance? Oh, man. That's, that's, Let's talk ring entrance music. That's a, tough, a lot of bands get in there.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. For years, it was like Drowning Pool was all over. Drowning Pool, Rev Theory, it gets yeah, a lot of uh, love. A lot of stuff. Um, I feel like Years would be something incredibly obscure. <laughs> no, and, I, and I, th- I think this is fitting. See if you back me up on this, Joe. Okay. Um, uh Revolution Mother, the Mike Mike V, like his band. No. No idea what you're talking oh, about. God, see. He goes, you're going to be really obscure, and you go, no, I'm not. No, no. Damn, and then it, he damn it. Something I've never like really But you're going to be... say,
0: like, Metallica or something. No,
2: I wouldn't do Metallica. I would do Anthrax, though. Yeah? Anthrax, I would pick. Uh, like, maybe I Am The Law. Like Hunt, You
1: know, Triple H had, has used three uh, Motorhead songs. Yeah. He's, like, co-opted Motorhead.
2: Is he cool? I want him to be cool, because I like he him a is, lot. He
1: is, but he's got that, like, awful, arrogant side to yeah. him. Yeah. But now he's like corporate, so he, I think he has he's he's doing a great job. Yeah. He's a nice guy yeah. he's just there's a lot of you know I've just always
2: he takes it really seriously I've just always dug him, you know what I mean yeah. as a wrestler, and I remember watching the match where it was like his thigh mm-hmm. split in half, and he kept yeah. going like I just think he he just kind of epitomizes like a lifer to me, and I just have always dug him. The
1: Road Warriors used to, back when I was a kid and I would watch it, the Road Warriors used to come out to Iron Man by, um, back when there was no rights and clearances, they would come out to Iron Man by uh, uh,
2: Black, Sabbath. Black
1: Sabbath, which was, that's a good yeah, one. That's good. That was awesome. I mean, that that's probably the best one.
2: I'm surprised there hasn't been a really... Like 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 an emo heel with someone coming out to like you know what people would consider a stereotypical emo song. Well, like Rosenberg Mike and I, we something. always talk
1: about that hip hop has never really been done correctly in wrestling yet. Mm-hmm. They've tried it so many times. Like Cena did it with the with the with the uh, freestyles, yeah. and they've had some really cringeworthy like semi racist you know gimmicks that they've given some some people and uh, like. Uh, Master P had a whole thing in wasn't WCW. ICP wrestling. ICP they're really big into wrestling. Yeah, I worked on uh, ICP theater, which was uh from oh, yeah. fused last summer. That's I did right. That. I wrote a bunch of stuff for them. Got to meet Greg the Hammer Valentine, what? who was uh, a set piece for them. Holy shit! He was like their bouncer. But anyway, I'm trying to think of um, Master of the Figure Four. Yeah. So lately, hip hop has never been like rock has definitely been done and done okay, mm-hmm. and country. But, like, hip-hop, they've never...
2: There's just not that sensibility
1: backstage.
2: Really? Not even Slam by Onyx? You'd think that'd be it. You'd think. You yeah. would
1: think. It'd be a great song.
2: Then i then I choose it as mine, Slam by Onyx. Good choice.
1: But dudes like Action Bronson are, like, are like sampling Ric Flair promos and putting it in their songs, and um, there's a bunch of other guys. Like, wrestling's huge in the hip-hop culture. That's why it's so weird to me that, like, hip-hop has never been done correctly... And my favorite the, thing
2: about wrestling is, outside of going to see the Beastie Boys, and outside of sports, it's the most multicultural, diverse crowd you'll ever see. Yeah,
1: I took my uh, my girlfriend to WrestleMania this year. We went to uh, she she's a great one because she went to New Orleans and went to WrestleMania 30 with me, and it was a double date. It was Rosenberg and his wife and me and uh, me and my girl. And um, she said the same thing. She's like, I can't, I just can't believe like every kind
2: of person is in this arena right now. Mm-hmm. It's a giant Benetton ad, and it's it's funny. <laughs> Everyone is there for the same reason. They know what's going on, and it's it's a cool, organized, fun. There's event. a lot of
1: crossover between the. I mean, look, Jericho basically does the same thing, but then he leaves and goes and does his band, and then you know the travel is the same. I don't think that the nightly basis that rest, you know wrestling is 365 days. Like at least
2: bands take you know off in between albums. No, wrestlers are the, they're, they're literally really, the hardest. Group and hard, hardest working people in show business. Yeah, it's wild. It's amazing. It's wild. Dude, wild has been having you here. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you the, so man. much. <laughs> 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 we, we lose Jonah to peeing. but thank you, Jonah.
1: Thank you, Stephen. I hope I wasn't too nerdy. Oh my God, this is perfect.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, if you are not into wrestling right now after listening to that wonderful interview with... If you're not wrestling right now, you're 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 not in a headlock. If you're not on top of a turnbuckle at the moment. You know, actually, I had to stop watching wrestling because of my children, because all of a sudden they started doing the headlock stuff. Mm -hmm. It's bad. Sounds cool. But I did take a video of it, and it was kind of obnoxious. I'll show it before their prom, because they were both literally in jeans, shirtless. (laughs) Two little, you know, not even two-year-old girls just attacking each other. It's kind of funny (laughs) it is funny when two-year-old girls do it my point (laughs) (laughs) people like andrew who who like something so much it's kind of infectious and it make it i don't know just a whole new he watches matches the way i like to watch matches which is like how are they gonna wow me again not unlike listening to bands all the time like show me something i'm familiar with this show me something different or or make it work touche and that's the way i like watching uh The wrestling, which is cool, and by the way, and what we didn't get into, which I love to talk to him about, is like like local wrestling circuits. You know, not the backyard wrestling. Well, backyard stuff is dangerous. Please don't do it, (laughs) kids. Your kids listening because there's no one watching. But like the local circuits, I've been to a couple of them. They're awesome. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're really, really cool. Because, you, again, you watch, like Andrew said, you can be like, oh, wow, they didn't even come near connecting. That's amazing. You know. <laughs> yeah. So you want to watch the guys who make it look like they're connecting. But then, they'll, you know, I saw a guy, like, dive off a ring outside in a parking lot and land on another dude and then slam a guy into a wall. And he didn't sell it well at all, <laughs> but it was still great to watch. I was like, he could, he could the jump, that's gravity. He had to sell that, but slamming it into the wall just didn't work at all.
0: Dude, I still... I still think back at wrestling is cool,
2: but dangerous. Don't do it. Yes,
0: but watch the videos. Maybe of people like jumping off their roofs. Onto, You'll like, see the reasons the why not to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, remember that was a big thing. Yeah, it was huge. It felt like that was like when I was in college, like people were really into
2: doing that. Yeah, if you if you really want to watch the hardcore stuff, watch the Japanese wrestling. I've never seen that. Uh, I just I just I ruined... guess
0: everything Japanese is more hardcore. I just
2: ruined your weekend. <laughs> yeah, what you are going to watch on YouTube? Um, They're just like, oh no, this is real barbed wire. We're not playing around. <laughs>
0: This is crazy. I'll be at St. Vitus performing with United Nations, which will also be very violent and crazy. Yeah. I'll be back by the bar. This will have already happened by the time you hear this. So so. please watch the bootleg YouTube video of United Nations. Watch a bootleg YouTube video
2: um, and check out Wrestling in general actually uh, uh andrew goldstein is on a whole bunch of great wrestling podcasts he's called in to speak a lot about it because he knows his stuff well. so
0: check him out in some other ones and if you'd like this podcast check out our podcast we did with adam vast from La Dispute speed a few months ago where we talked also a lot about wrestling damn it um because because yeah like i feel like some people probably are like oh this is about wrestling this is going to be boring not necessarily boring even if you don't care about wrestling
2: that's right yeah, follow that. Out. if as you're as going I to said. follow us, follow us on Twitter. Go to the Facebook, go to our website, check us out. Thank you for listening. Thank you for emailing. Thank you for tweeting. All right, we'll see you <laughs> next week. <laughs>